So I had the wildest dream last night. I dreamed I was on Twitter and suddenly Kanye West was tweeting not only that he loved Donald Trump, but about how Barack Obama had failed to help black people in America. And I was like, whoa, no way. And then all the leftists were coming after Kanye and he wouldn't back down. And then Chance the Rapper started tweeting about how black people didn't have to be Democrats. And then some gay people started tweeting that gay people didn't have to be Democrats either. And then women started tweeting that as well. And Matthew McConaughey started saying that anti-gun activists were trying to destroy the Second Amendment. And I'm like, this is a dream, right? Because now the only person left in America voting for Democrats was Bill Kristol, who said he preferred an unaccountable deep state governing America to Donald Trump. And then he just started screaming incomprehensible gibberish and he turned into a gigantic gargoyle and flew away while candy canes fell out of the sky. And then I woke up and it wasn't a dream. And Kanye and Chance, McConaughey and Crystal, they all really said those things. And my bed was covered in candy canes. And the gargoyle part, I think, was because I was on acid. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. Another week is shot by like a bullet and the Clavenless weekend threatens, you know, you even you forget, you know, we get so involved in our week. We forget that the Clavenless weekend is coming. We have no reason to be happy because it'll just be darkness all over the land. We have Dennis Miller, the mighty Dennis Miller. You know, very few people have ever made me laugh so hard that I fell off the couch. Robin Williams made me laugh. So hard. Dennis Miller, I remember his last, it was an HBO special. I just remember laughing so hard. I slid to the floor. He was like just a really, really funny guy and a guy who has had the guts not to follow the heard and not to be a typical Hollywood leftist. So it's always going to be interesting to talk to him, especially on a day like this, when the cultural left is in disarray. Meanwhile, let's talk about Freedom Project Academy, because, you know, I, I'm not one of these people who would like pounds my fists and, oh, you know, our schools have fallen apart. But face it, our schools have pretty well fallen apart. They are not. You are not sending your kid anymore to school to get lessons in civics and why America is the way it is. Uh, you know, instead, you get this constant, constant stream of propaganda. And it's just not like, uh, you know, a place where they're going to come back knowing what you need them to know. And that's why Freedom Project Academy has developed a fully accredited Judeo-Christian classical online school for kindergarten through high school. This is an incredibly interactive education where students attend live classes every day with teachers and fellow classmates from across the country. FBA doesn't accept a penny of government funding, which allows them to stay committed to teaching students how to think, not what to think. Families can enroll students full-time or start with a single class. It's entirely up to you. Try it out. Take a look. See what you can get. Go to freedomforschool.com and request a free information packet from Freedom Project Academy. That's freedomforschool.com. Enrollment ends in July, but classes fill up fast. So go to freedomsforschool.com, freedomforschool.com. Don't forget to tell them that I sent you so they know that we are supporting them. So my biggest thought when I saw what was happening yesterday on Twitter, which was dreamlike, is that really the only power the cultural left has is our cowardice. They have no power except for the fact that we back down. And this is really, it's really important to remember because this has been going on now for 
ever. And so Kanye comes in and, you know, and he says he loves Donald Trump. And uh, Shapiro, I didn't see this myself, but Shapiro told me there was a picture of him watching Jordan Peterson on TV. It's like, you know, he's, they said he lost 10 million Twitter followers after this. And then, I mean, that was one thing. And, and you know, Kanye's all over the place. And he's always been Trump's pal. They've always been friends. But, but the other thing is that Chance the Rapper comes out and he says, you know, black people don't have to be Democrats, which is pretty straightforward. I mean, of course that is true. And and then the Matthew McConaughey was just kind of icing on the cake. And Matthew McConaughey said, you know, these people who are pro- protesting our guns really do want to take our guns away. And so this constant bullying goes on, you know, and it's it's not just Twitter. It's not just the Twitter, uh, you know, birds that come down and, and basically crap all over you. It is also the comedians at night, you know, every single one of them, you know now that you're a target, you're a laughing stock. It's this kind of, you know, let's watch uh, Stephen Colbert on Kanye because it's this kind of upper class, you know, like disdain. So, here, here is this, you know, middle class, this middle-aged white guy, as he himself would say, this middle-aged white guy delivering his, you know, verdict on what Kanye West should be talking about. I think Kanye's lobbying for a job as Trump's new communications director. They could just change his name to Kellyanne Kanye. <laughs> but the height of Kanye's Trump praise has got to be when he tweeted, "You don't have to agree with Trump." But the mob can't make me not love him. We are both dragon energy. He is my brother. I love everyone. I don't agree with everything anyone does. That's what makes us individuals. And we have the right to independent thought. Yes, we have the right to independent thought. And I independently think that Kanye has lost his mind. (laughs) You know what, Kanye? You You know what? Donald Trump is your brother, it is true. I am your brother too. And brother to brother, I just wanna say, put the phone down. Okay, you could have stopped at 10 a.m. this morning with, I'm nice at ping pong. So, you know, if there were comedians who disagreed, who weren't part of the herd, that would be fine. So one comedian goes after you, another comedian goes after somebody else. But since they are all in the herd, what has really happened is that Kanye West has broken out of the herd. And, and let me, you know, I started out this week making jokes about Kanye West as a great philosopher and all of this stuff. That's not the point. The point is not Kanye West. It's, it really is not. It is simply his, his basic right as an American to think for himself without this kind of monolithic communication organ, which is the news, the entertainment media, the academy falling down on top of him like the temple on Samson. That's the only thing that's important about it. And the important thing is that it instructs us. Again, you don't have to participate in celebrity culture. You don't have to think that Kanye West's ideas are important. His ideas are no more important than Robert De Niro's, right? I mean, when Robert De Niro comes out and says he wants to punch Donald Trump, that's not important either, except as an example of the fact that you can say what you want to say. And that is the, the whole thing on the left is Yes, we can say what we want to say, but not you. And, you know, the person who has become kind of the Greek chorus on this is our friend Candace Owens. You know, it start, this started out with Kanye saying that he liked the way Candace thinks. And, and she has been on kind of giving a background of meaning to this that I think is really fair. And she's in a position to do it where other people aren't. 
At once they enslaved our bodies, the Democratic Party, but today they have enslaved our minds. They have told us who we must love, who we must hate, what we must think, what ideas are unacceptable. And in the long run, they just it just doesn't add up. Listen, I think differently. Kanye West thinks differently. I can guarantee you if he and I get in the same room, we will have a lot of disagreements. The one thing that we will celebrate is our right to think differently. I don't understand what's so controversial for the left to understand this. The way that they have demonized him in the last 72 hours is almost sickening, but at the end of the day, it's going to have adverse effects. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, because the adverse effect is if Kanye doesn't crack, then suddenly the curtain is pulled away and you realize the cultural left has no power except our cowardice. You know, how many times have you heard on the mailbag or just in speeches I've given where people come up and where the question they ask is, how can I say this? How can I convince someone this? How can I talk to my professor about that? And what they're really saying is, How can I do this without paying any social price? And the idea is you don't. You pay a social price. You know, it's like Rhett Butler says in Gone with the Wind, with enough courage, you don't need a reputation. That is really what it comes down to. Candace Owens has the courage. Kanye West has the courage. It's not about whether you agree. It really is not about whether you agree with them, whether you admire them, whether you like them. It is simply about the fact that the other side has no power except when we stand down. And if you want to see an example of this, take a look at Hank Azaria. Now, you know, this really pains me because, like I I said before, my dad was a voice man. He was one of the great voice men who ever lived. Hank Azaria is one of the great voice men. He is up there with Mel Blanc, who was the guy who did all the Warner Brothers voices, Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. They were all, you know, Daffy Duck. They were all Mel Blanc. Hank Azaria is that level of a talent. Now, that doesn't make him a genius. It doesn't make him a philosopher. It doesn't make him a good political guy. But he has the right to, you know, we want him. We want this great talent to be practicing his craft because it, to bring us entertainment. So he does this character, Apu, who is one of the many, many cliched, silly characters on The Simpsons, happens to be an Indian guy, comes under fire. And The Simpsons basically had the temerity to answer back with a scene that said, you know what, we're not going to do anything about this. It basically, you know, Get take a walk, you know, pound sand. And Hank Azaria comes out and he's basically, you look at him, he's like broken. This thing has broken him. And But listen to the reason it has broken him. Listen to what he says. The most important thing is we have to listen to South Asian people, Indian people in this country, when they talk about what they feel and, and, and how they think about, about this character and what their American experience of it has been. And as you know, in television terms, listening to voices means inclusion in the writer's room. I really want to see Indian, South Asian writer, writers in the room, not in a token way, but genuinely informing whatever new direction this character may take, including how it is voiced or not voiced. You know, I'm perfectly willing and happy to step aside or help transition it into something new. I really hope that's what The Simpsons does. And it just, it, not only makes sense, but it just feels like the right thing to do to me. He wants to be a decent human being. He wants to be a decent human being. And we, who have let the culture go, we have allowed the left to define what a decent human being is. So that in order to have, in order to do what you need to do, in order to practice your profession, in order to make people laugh, in order to have actual comedy and actual truth being spoken, you need courage because they have colonized our system of manners. But their colonization, just like the colonization of four guys who take over an entire community, they have no power unless we stand down. They have no power except for our cowardice, our 
basically accepting their standards of, of what politeness and what decency is. We have a new sponsor, eHarmony, which I'm really happy about because, as you know, I mean, I, am, I guess I'm the, the most happily married man in America. And I know and from experience that you're not going to really find happiness going out and having hookups, swiping left and doing all that stuff. And that's not what eHarmony about, is about. eHarmony is about getting you into a solid permanent, real relationship. And that is what they do. They send you a, a series of questions. They sent it to us. I, I, I couldn't try it out personally because my wife would have like, you know, hit me with a shovel. But but one of the, the girls here did try it out just to, you know, ask answer the questions. She said it took her 10 minutes. But the questions are questions of importance. They're questions of values. They're questions about who you are. And it sets you up to meet somebody who is compatible with you. eHarmony is built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. It's not a swipe left, you know, hookup site. They use decades of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches and brings and bring compatible people together. They are the number one most trusted dating site or app based on a 2018 survey of six, over 1,600 U.S. singles based on uh, yeah, based on a survey of over 1,600 U.S. singles. And right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription and enter my code, Claven at checkout. And I know what you're saying. What's the meaning of life and how do you spell Claven? A, I don't know. And B, K-L-A-V-A-N. K-L-A-V-A-N. Stop waiting. Start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, and that's eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter my code, Claven at checkout. You know, the fact that the left has colonized our system of manners, has colonized uh, our, our standards of decency, and means that it requires courage to simply do what's right. If you think about Hank Azaria, think about the, the end result of if everybody did that, it would mean the most talented voice man in America can't do people's voices if, they're, if he doesn't have the, their color skin. I mean, that is insane. That is insane, right? If a guy like Hank Azari can't do any damn voice he wants, that is crazy. So you think about the end result of what they're doing, you realize it's not decency. It's not politeness. They've simply colonized those systems of values between us and made us think that we are not decent and not polite if we don't do what they said. And that's the point of Donald Trump. And that is why, even though I, you know, again and again, I keep saying Trump should uh, clean up his act sometimes, Again and again, it has been useful to have Donald Trump out there. You know, Jonah Goldberg was on the show, what was it, two days ago, uh, talking about his, his terrific new book, Suicide of the West. And he was on, what's his name? Noah, I can't remember his last name. Trevor Noah. What did? Trevor. Trevor Noah, that's right, Trevor Noah. He was on Trevor Noah, also selling the book. And he had this to say about what frustrates him about our politics and about Trump. And it, it, it's a really interesting point in this conflict that we're in. This drives me crazy about my own side these days, where I, I talk to young conservative activists, college students, and I say, look, by all means, fight political correctness if that's what you want to do. Right. But just because being rude is politically incorrect doesn't mean being rude is good. And so much of what's happening, I think on both sides of the political aisle, is this, this idea that 
You can do almost any horrible thing if it annoys the right people. Right. And that's a huge part of the defense of Donald Trump, which I just find intellectually bankrupt, which is, well, he's got the right enemies or um, he's making the right people upset. Well, you have to look at what what is actually upsetting them. Right. And some of the things that upset, you know, liberals and leftists, I can agree with and I, you know, I'll support. But some of the other things are just sort of crassness, rudeness for its own sake. And I don't see why I should defend that just because he's on my team, as it were. And, and I, I agree with Jonah so far as he goes. I mean, obviously, like I, I do oppose rudeness. I do oppose calling people names and political arguments and all this. And it does bring down the standard of conversation. But but in the broader sphere, we do have to realize how completely everything we do has been taken over and that we, it requires courage to stand up and stand back. And and when people say, you know, oh, well, Donald Trump, at least he fights. And a lot of the never Trumpers make fun of that. They say, you know, oh, you know, he's this terrible guy, but at least he fights. No, this is something really true. It does. You know, when when you are in a place where you're surrounded by your friends and where you don't want to be the guy who says the bad thing and you don't want to be the guy who's nasty and you don't want to be the guy who uh, everybody points at and laughs at or yells at. Right. It means that you cannot find your own way to what you believe and to what the truth is. And it takes a little bit of breaking the, the glass walls to get out of that prison. And they have no power. They have no power if you do not if you stand up to them. They do not have any power except for that. And that that's why, Trump, you know, we should listen to what Trump had to say about Kanye because it's kind of amusing. But it actually is makes he makes a good point. He was talking on uh, Fox and Friends. I have known Kanye a little bit, and I get along with Kanye. I get along with a lot of people, frankly. But Kanye looks and he sees black unemployment at the lowest it's been in the history of our country. Okay, he sees Hispanic unemployment at the lowest it's been in the history of our country. He sees, by the way, female unemployment, women unemployment. The lowest it's been in now almost 19 years. He sees that stuff and he's smart. And he says, you know what? Trump is doing a much better job than the Democrats did. And by the way, if they ever got in and started putting back all these rules and regulations where you can't breathe, where businesses go out of business, our country would be in big trouble. And had I not gotten elected, Hillary would have come in. She would have added more rules and regulations. We would have been out of business. He's making a perfectly valid point. That is a perfectly valid point. He's doing a better job than Obama did for the people Obama was supposed to represent. He is. He just is. Their life, their lives are better, economically speaking, than they were before. And the press can twist everything he says to make it sound racist or to make it sound authoritarian. But Obama was far more authoritarian, far more. Uh, he exceeded the rules of constitutional governance far more than Trump has. And it's all an illusion created by the press. Maybe not Trump's rudeness isn't, but but the rest of it is. And to break through that uh, that prison just takes a little courage. You know, I just want to add one thing. It doesn't take rudeness to fight back. It doesn't take rudeness to fight back. It takes the courage to be called rude. It doesn't take indecency to fight back. It takes the courage to be called indecent. Those are different things. And they have no power. Again, they have no power if you have the courage to be called those things. Just to show you an example, Jim... Look at me, I'm Jim Acosta, accosted 
uh, Sarah Sanders in the press briefing yesterday. Acosta in that article, I think I was talking about it yesterday in Variety, said uh, basically said Americans are stupid. Anybody who doesn't see what I see is stupid. And then he said, well, I was taken out of context. So Sarah Sanders gave him a little bit of the dig. He was going after uh, Ronnie Jackson, the guy who was going, the doctor who was appointed uh, Trump's pick for, to run the VA, and he's now stood down because all these allegations came out against him. He says the allegations are untrue, but he stood down. And Acosta goes after Sarah Sanders, and she says, well, you know, you know what it means to be taken out of context, right? And Acosta goes nuts, right? But listen to the way she handles him. She's not rude at all. She just stands up for what she has to say. As I stated a moment ago, we support a free press, but we also support a fair press. Uh, and I think that those things uh, should go hand in hand. And there's a certain responsibility by the press to report accurate information. I think a number of people. I think a number of people in this room do that every single day. They do their very best to provide fair and accurate information. Certainly support that. And that's one of the reasons I'm standing here taking your questions, um, and and a lot that. of times taking your questions in a tone that's completely unnecessary, unneeded, and frankly doesn't help further the conversation or help the American people get any more information in a better way, which is your job and my job, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to move on. David, go ahead. The president's tone towards the press obviously is not helpful at times, and I think that that's plain to see. I mean, that that there's nothing rude about that. The only one being rude, rude is Jim. Look at me. I'm Jim Acosta. You know, Acosta in her. I mean, he's, he's the guy's aptly named. He's like Charles Blow, who blows. You know, this he's Acosta because he's, he's constantly accosting people. But, but he's, you know, it doesn't take it doesn't take rudeness. It doesn't take indecency. It takes the courage to be called those things. And once you show that courage, like Kanye did, you know, you say what you want about Kanye, but he he has that dragon blood in him that <laughs> gave him the courage. Once you have it, they disappear. They just vanish. They have no power except for that. And why, you know, it matters. You know, I haven't talked about this all week. And there's a reason I haven't talked about it. It's it's so awful that in some ways, you know, you can't you can't put into words what's so awful about this thing that's happening in England. Okay, England, which was once the most polite country in the world. Uh, This this thing about uh, Alfie Evans, his name is Little Baby, has some kind of disease. Nobody is quite clear what it is, but some kind of rare degenerative disease. And the court has determined in England that he must die. And they've essentially decided to put him down like a dog. That is essentially what they did because the parents want to keep him alive. They want to fight for his life. The court says, no, you can't do it. They took him off life support. The baby keeps on fighting keeps on fighting and gets and is still there. What, what's awful about this is if the national health says this baby is too expensive to keep him alive, fine. But the parents want to take him to Italy where they're willing to treat him. The Italians sent in a chopper to get him. They send out police to keep the baby there so that he can be killed. You know, this is a culture where England is a culture where the ordinary man has lost his voice, where when you speak up against Islam, you get you can get arrested. When a, a guy gave a, the finger to a traffic camera the other day and they said they what they're going to put him away and somebody trained his dog to give the Nazi salute, which I thought was pretty clever, actually, trained his dog to give the Nazi salute as a joke. And they they put him on trial. This is a place where the ordinary man has lost his voice. 
It can happen here. And when it does happen, you have a state that believes you belong to them. What's, I, I don't know anything about, I, I would not presume to make some kind of medical state, statement about with, where this baby is or what's right for this baby. I don't know. I only know that it's the parent's right to choose. It is not the state's. This woman, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, that this woman could have killed this baby, aborted the baby before it was born, and now they won't let her keep it alive. So suddenly she loses choice. Death always wins. Hey, is, is Dennis on one? Dennis Miller, like I said, one of the uh, few comedians who has ever made me fall off the couch. I laugh so hard. He's a five-time Emmy Award winner for his uh, show, Dennis Miller Live. He most recently served as host for eight years of the nationally syndicated Westwood One radio talk show, The Dennis Miller Show. He's had four New York Times uh, bestsellers. He's, he is about to start performing live again. He's, he'll, at Saturday, May 19th, he'll be at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee. Friday, June 15th, he will be at the NYCB Theater at Westbury on Long Island. And in June, he'll be taping his 10th stand-up special. It was one of his stand-up specials that uh, made me fall, literally roll off the couch. I laughed so hard. Dennis, are you there? What's up, young Drew? <laughs> How you doing? Wait, uh bad in England now that after literally local citizens are beheaded on a bridge in the restaurant district, the mayor rushes out to a podium, Steve Kahn, to say this is not terrorism, but rather the work of a solo crazed individual. And I thought, what did Sadiq Khan turn into the mayor from John? I mean, it's like, oh, Martin, the beaches will be open. We will suffer on Amity. <laughs> It is, it is a, that's all that needs is that those violins, right? Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> so you are you are a guy who has in fact defied the cultural left. You are guilty of doing comedy while not being a leftist. What what do you think when you're looking at Kanye West uh, on Twitter? Good for him. I mean, uh, I, I admire him. That takes some courage to step out like that. And the fact that he's pushed all his chips in on Trump, I would say. Well, the hashtag I put up is. Uh, Orange is the new black. <laughs> <laughs> the rap community is going to start going over to Trump and they're going to hold next election at that point. Because I really think there is some crazy lock on people's. Uh, I-, I love when he talks about freeing your mind up. And then I saw another. Listen, I'm not a. I'm not a uh, Plenty the Elder of the hip hop world, but I saw a guy named Chance the Rapper say that yeah. Being black doesn't mean you have to vote Democrat. And I thought, oh, man, in whatever, uh, I guess right now it's probably in Terry McAuliffe's office, uh, Dem Central, uh, they must be they must be freaking out if this uh, if, if that uh, firewall is going to start breaking. They, they would have nobody. I mean, if they lo- if they lost the black vote, they would never win another election, basically. Um, um, listen, if people just started getting free thinking, you know, I, I think it always sounds to William Shockley when you start talking about black vote. I'm just saying if people are, if any, uh, you know, gender or any uh, racially defined group or any of that just started freeing their thoughts, just to hear Kanye West say, Obama was president for eight years and nothing good happened in Chicago. I thought, boy, I, I, you, you never see where it's coming from. But it, it's almost like it reminds me of uh, 
Cure Delay in 2010, not 2001, where he said, you remember he's talking, he said, it's beautiful. He like he can like see the thing breaking down. He said, it's beautiful. Oh, my God, so many stars. And I was thinking when I was watching Kanye, I thought, boy, who would have thought Kanye West, when I would watch him so insolent, and I think publicly drunk, grabbing a young girl's, uh, you know, uh, Grammy out of her hand and being a bit of an embarrassment, and you think there's life. You never can predict it. I think he might set off something here. That uh, well, all I would say is, oh my God, so many stars. Because if if uh, people start getting illuminated, listen, there's going to be some things on the right that don't make any sense to me. But I'm telling you, there are more on the left right now. This the rigidity of the lockstep has gotten comical. At this point, when I watch the North Korean army in a missile parade, I think, wow, they're looser than we are. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Has, has it, I mean, you, you have been, it seems to me, fearless. For all I know, you go home and hide in the corner and, and tremble. But you, you seem fearless in expressing your opinion. You've been on Bill O'Reilly, which puts a target on your head. Have you, have you suffered for this politically? I mean, professionally. I think suffered is an overused word in this country. You should go visit Walter Reed or Bethesda or St. Jude's suffering. Uh, listen, uh, I I got to sleep with myself at night. It doesn't matter how big my house is, you know, like, which is one reason the book probably stayed in lockstep in Hollywood. At the end of the day, you're heading to a spot that's uh, like a, a roadrunner cut out of your, your body, and you got to sleep in the, in the it doesn't matter to me about being decried. I'm a 64-year-old man. If I've taken the, the long ramble from a, you know, being born through 64 and I haven't learned that you, should, you don't have to care about what other people think as long as you're trying to be a civil human being, trying to be you know, reasonably kind. Uh, to, I, I see that in that Kanye tweet where he just said, I'm, I'm sick of the thought police. For God's sakes, what am I supposed to do? Like, uh, you, you know, go through the whole cycle and then ask somebody on the view to pre-approve my death rattle when I get to the end. That's not the way life's <laughs> So then what do you think when you see, I was talking before about Hank Azaria, who I admire so much. I mean, my, my father was a, a really good voice man. And Azaria is up there with uh, Mel Blanc in terms of the, his talent uh, at doing voices. And he has to stand down and apologize for doing Apu. I mean, does, does that send a chill up your spine? I'm a huge fan. Hank Azaria can do what he wants. I'm, the, I'm, I'm leading Dennis Miller's life. And there's too much second guessing right now going on, social media and all that. God, I look at social media, I think never have lives less lived been more scrutinized. You know what I mean? It's it's like we're we're putting everything under the jeweler's loop. It's like we do the Zabruder film ten times a day on other people's most intimate moments. I remember once I met Carl Malden backstage at a video conference. Uh, it was like an award ceremony. He was getting a lifetime video. I also remember that Leonard Maltz was like him seeing that night. And one of the subjunks of the, uh, the the evening was they had to get the porn award out. No, it wasn't the porn award. It was just video, all of it. But one of them, you know, a big seller's porn. I remember Leonard Maltz had to give the award to a film called Edward Penis Hand. <laughs> so hard because he's in his tux and he reluctantly opens the envelope because of the winner is Edward Penis Hand. And I'm in the background with Carl Malden, we're dying. And I say to Malden, and this stuck with me forever, I say, you know, Carl, um, I know you're 
he, he was talking about Alien and how he wanted to push, and indeed he did get him an Oscar at Kazan down the road. I said, I, I'm always wondering how Bud Schulberg and Ilya Kazan, who to me are the proletariat town criers, I mean, literally, the, the, the Gutenberg of proletariat uh, ethos in this country, would name names, even if they were already named names, in front of the U.S. committee. I remember um, Malden looked at me and said, it was a long time ago, Dennis, and you weren't there. And he said, can I tell you something? You don't know how brave you are until they chain you to the radiator. And man, it took my breath away. Yeah. It's true. You asked me about Hank there. I don't know Hank there. He can do whatever he wants about this animated figure on a longest-running TV show ever, much beloved. If we live in a time now where there are people out there who are going to try to ruin and break into a thousand pieces Hank Azaria's rice bowl because he does the voice of a Quickie Mart owner on an end thing. Two things should go off in your head. The Simpsons just passed Gunsmoke as the longest running, most popular show in the history of television. And in the space of maybe one or two years, the curtain has come down, prohibited it. And if Azaria chooses to go through with it, he will have to be boycotted or ruined. Now, you can look at Hank Azaria and say, it hurts me to say, Hank Azaria can do whatever he wants because it is a complete goat stuff out there and anybody can do what they want. Yeah, no, I I, under, I totally understand that. And the, and the point, the Malden point is very, very well taken. I guess, you know, when I look at, at the, the late night comics, for instance, I don't think Steve Colbert is a bad guy. I don't think, you know, each one of them is a bad guy. But it does seem a little unfair to me that they're all on one side. It's, it's when they gang up like that. I know they're not each one is not individually culpable. But the fact that you cannot turn on late night TV and see somebody support Trump it seems just a little bit like like 62 million Americans are being ganged up on. Well, I'll go the other way. I don't know Colbert at all, so I don't know what sort of guy he is. And all I know is he was he was third, and now he's one, I think. Or maybe, he was, I can't even remember, but I do remember he got an unexpected... You know, to me, it's like when I look at the hashtag on social media, I always think, wow, nice second act for the tic-tac-toe grid. Lucky little symbol hanging in there, a career that was stalled, then it gets an unexpected boost uh, from the hashtag thing. Well, that, that's sort of like Alec Baldwin and Colbert. I don't think they were, I, I, I don't know if they were stalled, but it wasn't as hot as it is now. So Trump's come in and give them a bit of a boost. But I'm saying if you're looking for fairness, you've got to look for fairness in a, a field that might be fair, show business from its very core, from its very birth. Whenever, I don't know, you see those people slow dancing in gauze dresses way back when, and then the, the moon rocket gets stuck in the, the moon guy's eyeballs. You know, from, from the beginning of time, Hollywood has been an unfair business that's predicated a lot on cosmetic issues and breaks and uh, rough rough young guys running roughshod over people who are needy because they want to be in show. You know, the, to think, uh, well, I find it unfair on late night television. I'm telling you, you've got your, uh, you've got your binoculars on the wrong field. Fairness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. When, when you do your, you're doing a net, uh, you're taping your 10th stand-up special, right? Is it, is this, who, who's this for? But I went back and ordered them all. It's my ninth. And, uh, I did eight for HBO, one for, I think it was called, uh, Epic. And now this ninth one is just for uh, a nice gentleman who then sells it to individual platforms. Oh, I got it. Okay. So now is your material still uh, political when you go out and do stand up? 
say it's around two thirds not political and a third political. Because once you're the weekend update guy, they're going to expect you to do topic driven stuff. But then again, I don't want to go out there and turn this into a, you know, a, a, a sort of a falcon in the snowman dinner table argument with people. I want to go out and make them laugh. So around two thirds, one third. That, so how is how has Trump affected the field? I mean, the way I look at some of these comics, Trump has become like the F word. They say it and that people laugh, but it's not always that that funny. Uh, but he is a character. You couldn't invent the guy. You were incredibly uh, hilarious about Obama. It, it, how do you feel about Trump? I mean, where do you stand on the Donald? Well, tweeting makes me laugh out loud. To me, Trump doesn't drink. So lighting up asshats on Twitter is a cognac before bed. And, uh, you know, I look at Trump and I don't get all of it, but I'll say this, I get a lot of it. And to me, he's a Ted Neely and Jesus Christ superstar. He realizes what a corrupt, crap, three-card money game the Pharisees are running in the temple. He just comes over and flips out over the table. He'll figure out the rest of it later. Uh, Are there days when I think he's a little uh, crazy? Yeah, there are. But let me say this about Trump's craziness. I think his outer voice is an accurate depiction of his inner voice, warts and all. I don't think Hillary Clinton's inner voice and outer voice have ever even had a couple. Of- <laughs> <laughs> It'd be in- interesting to introduce them. So, so if I was Trump, I'd call Hillary and try to hire her to deal with the Stormy Daniels thing. I'd say, listen, Hill. Donald, uh, you know this drill. You're out of work. You've been cheated on more frequently than a blind woman playing Scrabble with gypsies. Can you take over this thing for me? <laughs> Make America great again, one job at a time. Now, so I, I have to ask you this. Uh, who makes you laugh now? What, what, who's funny that you like? Brian Regan. Brian Regan's the best stand-up in the world. Jerry's the evergreen. He's the greatest stand-up of our... Yeah, 25 year era. So Brian Regan and uh, the the new guy who just destroys me is Sebastian Maniscalco. I don't know if you know him. It's a bit of an odd name. So M A N I S C A L C O. Sebastian Maniscalco. Uh, Brian Regan, as I said, I think is the best. And uh, just hanging David Spade and Dana Carvey at dinner. I, I have to be resuscitated. <laughs> All right. So uh, my, my final question, you're going out and you're going to do appearances uh, Saturday, May 19th at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, Friday, June 15th at NYCB Theater at Westbury on Long Island. Do you ever run into political trouble, like the people protest or anything like that? That people get pissed at you, but come on, man. Yeah. Listen, I don't have to tell you. you gotta, we got to get rhinos to get a podcast. Honest to God, the day you find yourself going back to a day's in and laying on the bed saying somebody didn't like me, <laughs> get your life together. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I'm not out to actively piss people off, but I can't go back and say, uh, did I alienate a fellow human today? You can see the Internet. You could put up that you cured cancer and some people would troll you. Who cares what people think? You know, that's all that's changed is I think people were always so sacrimonious with each other. But back in, you know, Torquemada's age, you didn't know how pissed off people were at each other. Now everybody's little mental burp is put up in a hundred. Warhol was a genius in retrospect, saying everybody would be famous for 15 minutes. He was probably a little too optimistic. It doesn't even take that. You can be famous. And, you know, last time I saw a fame bar, I said, there are bars at this little. I was at a dwarf's wake. Now, listen, I got to pitch one more thing. I'm doing a uh, 
podcast called the Dennis Miller Option, and I'll leave it at that. People can find it on Apple or Podcast One, but I'm talking about the world. I did one about sports, but a lot of people don't follow sports, so I'm doing the sports one, and now I do the Dennis Miller Option. And I'm sorry to hammer it, but I owe it to the people who uh, get, you know, gave me the gig to get out there and sell it because it's new. So thank you, Andrew. You're a good, good cat. I appreciate your time. Hey, thanks a lot, Dennis. I appreciate it. All right. Later, kid. So that was a perfect example of what I was saying, right? Right. That's the attitude. That's the attitude you need. You can't go back to your hotel and worry that you offended anybody. You know, it's just it's life is too short. You got to sleep with yourself. You got to live with yourself. I mean, that's it. That's what it takes. Take that attitude and all those guys who uh, frighten you, who make you feel worried about things. They all vanish. They got no power if you have that attitude. Hey, by the way, speaking of uh, not only does Dennis have a podcast, but the Daily Wire is now on Apple News. Did you know this? So if you put us on your news channels on Apple, you will get our latest stories on the go, which is absolutely uh, excellent. You know, I have to talk about one uh, uh, other story that I just really like. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny that Patton Oswalt has been uh, a comedian, obviously actor, and he has been absolutely virulent against Trump and against the people you know who vote for Trump and all this. So I don't agree with his politics. Uh, so what? So what? This is a great story, and I'm really glad it happened. His wife, who died uh, way too young, uh, very tragically, plunged him into uh, grief. She was a crime writer, Michelle McNamara, and she became obsessed with the guy she dubbed the Golden State Killer, a uh, murderer and rapist here in California. Uh, she was writing a book when she died called I'll Be Gone in the Dark about this. Her obsession uh, kept the case alive. And this is no knock on the police. The police have been uh, after this guy forever. But her obsession kept people calling in with tips and all this stuff. And uh, I guess it was yesterday, was it? Or maybe the day before the police have arrested uh, Joseph James D'Angelo, uh, 72 years old. Uh, they say that they've got the DNA evidence to convict him of these horrible crimes. Uh, let Oswald just tell a little bit of the, the story. Uh, he was on TV talking about it and obviously just filled with pride uh, for his late wife. Good thing. The guy um, is named, uh, uh, oh, my God, um, J.J. Uh, D'Angelo. He was a former policeman from Auburn, right near the Sacramento area where the where the um, rapes first started. Uh, so now there's all this, you know, she, her book and her and the article that led to the book really amped up all the interest in the case and really put a lot of focus on this. Not to discredit the, the work that the, that the police and the uh, lab technicians did, but it is this, it, it was like, it was her dream. She didn't care about, she always said, I don't care about credit. I want to know that he's in jail. And now uh, she... He's it, he's caught. He, she the bracelets are on, and it feels like this thing that she wanted so badly is now done. I, I love that story. That's that is really a good story. All right, stuff I like. Stuff I like. Stuff I like. Beep, 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 beep. I thought I thought we were going to get a new stuff. Somebody somebody's saying that's their favorite uh, intro song. <laughs> uh, uh, so I got to see a quiet place. I couldn't get to it. I couldn't get to it because, you know, it's one of those things I asked my wife, you want to see a quiet place? She laughed at me. You know, it's like, you want to see a quiet place? <laughs> you know, There's no way she was going to see this scary movie. Really good. I mean, first of all, it's only about an hour and a half, which I think should be, that's the one federal law uh, censoring the arts that I would support as a law saying all movies can, no movie can be over an hour and a half. It was really right and tight. Uh, it's directed by John Krasinski, the guy from The Office. He also stars in it with uh, Emily Blunt, who's his wife, right? Yeah, she's his wife. And Emily Blunt is terrific. But the, the 
premise of the film is there's been an apocalypse. There are these monsters uh, wandering around and they can't see you, but they can hear you. So you have to be dead silent all the time. There's very little dialogue. It was so intense and so tense uh, that I was twisting in my seat through it. And an hour later, I was still wired. It's very frightening. There's been a lot of talk on a lot of podcasts. I don't want to give anything away in case you haven't seen it. A lot of talk on a lot of podcasts on radio about some of the plot holes in it. Uh, they're not exactly, I didn't find them to be plot holes. I found them a couple of things that made you think like, oh, well, I'm not sure that would have happened or something like that. But it doesn't matter. It's done with so, so much verve and so much skill. And the values uh, are excellent, which I think is really great. It really is about family. It was nice to see a family pray. I always complain that nobody says grace in the movies, but people actually do say grace in their lives. It was nice to see a family that was linked together by their commitment to one another and also just really scary, intelligent horror and, and great great uh, performances. So that was terrific. Last week, we always like to end the week with some music. And last week, I guess I just kind of lost the train of thought and I didn't talk about who I was had on. It's a woman named Leanne Lahavis, uh, who is a British uh, singer and uh, guitarist. And she is just a terrific musician. My son Spencer sent her to me. Uh, that was, we played, what was it? It's the stuff you don't do. It's what you don't do. Here she is. We will end uh, this, this week uh, with Leanne Lahavis. But I want you to hear some of the guitar she plays, as well as her beautiful, beautiful voice. She is just terrific. The Clavenless Weekend is upon us. I can stave it off no longer. Darkness falls, monsters enter the streets, the stars turn to blood. It's a, it's a mess. But, but if you survive, we'll be back on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and here is Leon Lahavas. Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.